0: I'm really into systems. So I like setting up the system and like watching it expand and become something really cool and new and watch other people like contribute to the system and make it something better than I invented or ever imagined it to be. You know what I mean? And thats I think that's what led me into studio owning is essentially you're building a giant instrument.
1: That's Josh Block, phenomenal drummer music producer slash arranger slash audio engineer, owner of recording studio and now label Nile City Sound in Fort Worth, Texas. He played and toured with rock and roll band White Denim for many years and later helped launch the career of R&B singer-songwriter Leon Bridges, which he casually mentions but is a pretty big deal. And so is the Grammy. Josh's ear for capturing timeless vocalists... Proclivity for warm sounds from vintage equipment and innate understanding of rhythm make for a lovely recording if you're in the market for a hit. But the only thing better than hearing my friend on the radio is catching up with him in real life. I'm Angelica Norton. Stay tuned for my monthly chat. josh hi angelica thanks for joining me on chatty crafties a show where i celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art i've got matt in the studio today because he is my music buddy you want to say hi
2: hi i'm back
1: (laughs) back again i was invited back
2: (laughs) hey matt hey (laughs)
1: We met around 2001 when Matt brought me back home to Arlington, Texas to meet his friends and family. But more specifically, I met you in the rehearsal space.
0: The um, meat locker?
1: Is that what you called it?
0: It was a meat locker. Oh, was <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you called it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that like the inside name for yeah, it? Yeah, you
0: came in the meat locker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a real one.
1: Anyways, my very first impression of you was on the drums and it feels very appropriate considering every other time I've seen you practically has been on drums. Yeah. Too. I feel like that is just where you gravitate.
0: It's funny, that's where I always gravitate. So gravitated. then how
2: did how did you end up like hanging out with my brother and you know, I came home from school and my brother was hanging with you and that's basically when I met you, and that led to Angelica meeting you,
0: I feel like it was J Ray. I feel like okay. it was it was Joel Rafe. How did you um, meet Joel, dude? I I want to say I Joel and I have thought about this. There was this guy in Arlington. I was looking for a gig, you know. Um, I had found this niche for myself with country clubs. No one had the country club <laughs> gigs. So I was putting these jazz trios together with, like, dudes who were way out of my league, like, way better players than me because I could just pay, (laughs) like, hard pay. Like, dude, how's, like, this much? And, you know, the food chain with, like, jazz musicians was just, like, super increased for me because I had this great-paying gig. And I could be like, the only downside is you got to play with me. (laughs) You know, so I got, like, I was getting this great education playing in, like, trios and, like, just brushwork, just, you know... Um, like drums, like playing with brushes. That's all I did. And uh, yeah, the trumpet player who I knew from high school was at UTA, and I had hired him because I just needed a I'm a trumpet player for a gig. And he was like, dude, what are you doing with your life? I was like, I got no idea, but it's awesome. <laughs> you know?
1: You just happened These people, it. they let me
0: walk with bottles of liquor. I'm
1: 19.
0: <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, so then you then UTA. And then I, I think I met Joel because there was this gig called Johnny and the Saint. Uh-huh. And they needed... They needed a drummer and he paid and it's weird for gigs like that to pay at the time. So I was just like, yeah, man, I'll answer this gig. It was this guy named Vinny. He worked <laughs> at the guitar center with Joel and he kept telling me over and over again he was like he was like yo yo yo. I think he was from Philly or something. And he was just like yo yo yo, you got to be my friend Mindhead. Mindhead. <laughs> and he called me like Gizmo or something. Oh like he, uh, you got a nickname immediately with this guy, <laughs> uh-huh. you know? With Vinny. And uh, he was like, go to me my friend, Mindhead. You guys would just click. And dude, he brought Mindhead. It was Joel. Stop. And, yeah. And like we did. Like he was totally right. Like he came and he brought he brought James with him, James Petrolli. And they both showed up at, at this rehearsal. And afterwards we were just like, yo, what are you doing here? And they were like, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> and it was like this crazy. I played a few gigs with Vinny. It was horrible. mm mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's how I met Joel and, you know, fast friends, dude.
1: Sweet Joel. And now you're
2: whatever years later you're working together.
0: Dude, yeah, Joel lives in Switzerland for eight years. He was in New York for whatever before that, another like five to eight years before that. And now he's like, you know, for many reasons, he came back home, um, good and bad. And yeah, now he's at the studio. He's like my main dude.
1: Oh, that's adorable. I'm trying to get him on the podcast as well.
0: Oh, if yeah, he... that's a good one. He's done everything. Yeah. yeah. He's like one of those manifestors. Yeah. It's crazy, uh-huh.
2: you know? Yeah. I was trying to explain, and was asking, you know, that's one of the questions. It's just kind of like the the different roles that people play to get like an album done.
1: To be honest, I'm not super sure what a producer does.
2: <laughs> oh, Lord.
0: You and me both. Sister. <laughs> it
1: feels like it changes per artist that's in there, and per studio, and and like per how album. did
2: he make the jump? Yeah, so because like, not all musicians want or end up on the production side. And I was kind of yeah. curious, like what drew you there, how you ended up there. If it was just by chance, or if it was this calling. Probably goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before we even started. About you just yeah. wanna see like how the sausage was made.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. You you know, it's it's built out of necessity first, you know? It's like everything else. You like with White Denim, I mean you were basically the y- producer. Yeah, with White Denim with Doug, yeah. I had recorded Doug a bit. So oh, I moved oh, into Doug these Lord, two trailers. You know, he
2: so that was hi, before that was before like White Denim white really denim. got up and running, was that album you made with Ian and Doug and mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So Doug, I, met, I knew Ian before Doug did. Oh. So I met Ian through his wife. We both worked at Half Price Books together. Oh. oh. And we got along really well. And then I met her husband and was just like, oh, my God, you're amazing. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. these people are incredible. And then he and Doug hit it off. I had built out, like, a 27-foot, like, 40s Spartan trailer. And Doug and I made his album in this dirty old trailer. You know, that barely had electricity. It was like 80 acres or so that I lived on. Did um, we
1: go and have dinner yeah. with y'all there? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, yeah. The, the place? Okay.
0: You, you'd you been to this house. Yeah, okay. Um, Out in the middle of nowhere. So I had another little trailer kind of behind that. Oh. And I built that out into like a makeshift studio. Because I'd already been recording in Arlington and Mansfield and those areas. So I just brought the rig up. And I think making Doug's thing was, like, kind of like, oh, I should probably just do more of this. And yeah. that's when I started, like, oh. kind of, like, getting the bug to, like, kind of invest in that side of myself a little bit. Yeah, and I noticed
2: a major shift in you in terms of knowledge of, like, where I could tell you were after hours, like, like reading and trying to absorb as much as possible um, around yeah. that period. Like, okay. you had decided that, like, production was something... You were gonna take yeah, seriously. Yeah, I was into it. Yeah. So, yeah, did
1: you yeah. play on Doug's album? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And produced yeah. it.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, Double I wouldn't threat. say. Yeah, <laughs> I. I mean, I would. I would call it production mm-hmm. now, but I would say at the time, the last thing I'd want to say is that I was producing. You know what I mean? I was like trial by fire on that in those days. Same thing with like you were, the like, like
1: hinting at it.
0: Yeah, I was definitely recording. Circling. You know, yeah. I was definitely recording. I was definitely putting stuff together. I was probably doing more modern production than I do now, hmm. you know, in those days, you know, especially the first days because White Denim's original name was Park Touch and yeah. Lucas Anderson was in it. Yeah. Even in the days of Park Touch, I would say I was doing more of what modern producers do than I do now, um, which is like a lot of editing. A lot of grabbing like samples from performances and, and putting them together, and I think that's why Doug's like quote unquote country record that I worked on with Ian sounds so outsider is because it's yeah. just this oh, dude yeah. who's just like oh I should clip that and mangle it and yeah. I'll loop this <laughs> and it was just like looping wasn't a real like easy thing to do back then so it was just like weird and that's those Park Touch records too is like S- Steve there, there's a couple tunes where. I just really enjoyed editing bass, you know, grabbing little moments. And I, I, I remember, like, Steve being like, why? Like, this is a cool... I played this, but not like this. And this is a really crazy thing to ask me to do on a couple tunes, you know. Most of the time, it was something he you know, come up with, but... The way I would like string them together, it would just be so collaging and be like, this is nobody would do this. <laughs> be like, I don't know, man, that's cool. Yeah. Um, again, like that leaning into the arrangement side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we made like the Park Touch record out there, and really, that was kind of the the big part of the bug is like Park Touch and early White Denim days is just mm-hmm. those guys put a lot of trust in me um, to like i guess like house the ideas yeah you know and i think that's kind of where i learned like the modern idea of producer in in a sense that like oh it's like it's definitely like a collaborator and like somebody who's like trying to house tons of ideas because the modern way of recording is definitely like a lot of ideas at once whereas i would say like you know a traditional way of recording music is a lot of build up And, you know, the ideas are very clear when you sit down and press record. And the time at which we press record now is just much earlier. So I think I just gravitated to that.
2: As White Denim progressed, as y'all got tighter and tighter, did it just become about kind of capturing like the moment instead of kind of piecing together this almost like fictitious uh, recording, Mm -hmm. just capturing the group? I think, doing its thing. I
0: think we made that decision on purpose. I think it was okay. definitely mm-hmm. like a conscious decision to like, let's try to capture performance. You know, that was definitely a thing we did. So throughout, I did that until the last record I did with the band, which was very much like there was not a real need for me to do that. You know what I mean? There was never that need. There was a great, a really great working relationship with an engineer, this guy, Jim Valentine. Um, who is just fantastic, and James still works with him. He's unbelievably talented. So in those situations, there's no need for, you know, for that kind of crossover. But at that time, interestingly enough, I was already making records for other people. You know, um, oh, so I was okay. still kind of feeding the bug. You know, yeah. Um, so I wasn't missing out on it, and I, in fact, I enjoyed it. I like co-producing for that reason. I co-produce with other people who can play instruments, so. You know, a lot of the stuff I co-produce, it's, you know, I'm going to be playing drums too. And I just can't, Uh I can't always be on top of what the bass player is doing or the piano player or guitar player or, more importantly, the song or the singer, if I'm back behind the drum set trying to be a great drummer. Yeah. I feel like there's a large collaborative effort there. And I, I like setting up the system. I'm really into systems. So I like setting up the system and like watching it expand and become something really cool and new and watch other people like contribute to the system and make it something better than I invented or ever imagined it to be, you know what I mean? And that's I think that's what led me into studio owning is essentially you're building a giant instrument, like a really giant instrument. And there's so much tone and personality and like inspiration built into studios and that's yeah. another reason like why to build a big studio instead of a small one is you can really put that into the bones of the system you know and like it down to like console choice which is like the mixing console all the things that uh, that affect the signal as it's being recorded you're really like creating like a vibe for people so when they get in they just immediately hear this thing you know they hear this room they hear the mics you chose to collect. They hear the preamps you chose to capture the microphones with. You know, so I think to a lot of people it might seem funny to think about it that way because we look at microphones like what we're using. Mass. Like I'm just recording myself talk, but um, I think with records they give you a real, like a they give you a place in time. Like think of like film. Like there's certain certain comfort certain age groups get from watching films from certain decades just by the look of it. Yeah, You know, I feel like that's like kind of like studio design to me holistically.
2: How much thought was put into the architecture of the studio? Because actually before I ever visited, I had like scoured through the pictures and I was like, oh, man, you know, you were the first person that ever talked about design within reach to me. Um, (laughs) And you were one of the first people that like old yuppie Josh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. I think you, like, Appreciate always understood it. the value of design yeah. in different forms. Yeah. I, I've always kind of connected those two things with you. And um, so when we had a, a hiatus, you and I, yeah, and, and so from <laughs> afar, I got to kind of see you build out the studio. And then when it was done, I was like, God, this thing is like kind of the style of Josh's house, but, you know, in a studio form and visiting it. And I you think the power
1: January of to, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I think the power of the architecture is one thing that's like so interesting to me because that's where I'm formally trained, and I think it it was like a very natural kind of like um, decision making process on your side. I know you worked with someone, but like the no, outcome I'm, of I'm it is you, you just kind of like naturally followed your senses on it, and then for someone who thinks about this stuff a lot, I was like, God, oh, this really ended up like a special place.
0: Yeah, architecture, music, and, and, and food, yeah. I feel uh-huh. like, like, and I don't mean to, like, I love all art forms. I really, I, I truly do. But like, it's kind of like a thing right now. I think I like to listen to a piece on NPR about it even. Like, at what point does like observing a painting like bypass like the intellectual and go straight to the emotion? It's hard to dispute that it's possible because you can really dispute the possibility of it. But with music and food, It's indisputable. You don't intellectualize it first. It really goes straight to the emotions. In fact, like it's a neurological thing. You know, Angelica, you're from Houston, Mm -hmm. right? But with visual art, it's really hard until you go to the Rothko Chapel. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you can cry in the Rothko Chapel. But I think (laughs) that's architecture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they've like sainted architects for that reason. And so for me with like a studio is definitely you're like dead on. Basically, Matt, like I think it's extremely important that when you walk into a space, you feel like like you, you, you gravitate to a place to sit and you could record mm-hmm. a whole album sitting in that place. Mm-hmm. And you probably should. Like it's like a thing Daniel Lamois talks about, like his favorite place. He doesn't have a favorite place to put drums or a favorite place to put a singer. He, he basically looks at it like they have a favorite place to be. And it's mm-hmm. usually when they walk into the room, wherever they sit down, I'm going to put the mic there. You know, and it's just like this like connection we have to architecture because I think it's extremely emotional.
1: And there's a lot of subliminal communication with architecture where you are responding to the user, but you're also shaping where the user should choose to be. And so I I think that's really cool that you are using that as part of your shaping of the album.
0: Yeah. Please bring this up with Joel when you interview him, because uh, we have talks all the time when I walk in the room, I'm like, this place is killing me. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I think cleanliness is a very oh, similar thing, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, like yeah. being, like keeping things straight and, yeah, you know, uh, I'm not that way in my home, but I'm definitely that in the studio. Like there's little things like where the drums are in the studio at the moment might sound kind of cool, but there's this like baffle, mm-hmm. which is like a, we call them gobos. It's this tall thing on wheels that like directs sound. Oh. It's, In front of where you walk in the room, and I want to punch it every Uh time I walk in the room. Like, this doesn't go here, and it can't, because when somebody walks in here to make music, like, I don't need some weird reveal around a tunnel. (laughs) I want them to open these. I I made this space. We made this space like this, so when they open these two doors, it's just, like, immediately, like, their eyes will move to where they're going to walk. You know what I mean? yeah. Yeah, that's, that's huge to me. And I feel like that's part of the collaboration thing, Matt. I think that's kind of where you're getting into it. I think the room is collaborating. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's definitely like this thing that kind of like speaks, you know.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, for like for me, too, I've been making music in one environment for years. And, you know, to come just for the weekend and make music in another environment, you know, it really like changes the way you approach it think about it like there's i think to some extent what i thought was really interesting about a proper studio was like the uh it feels like sacred space Mm. it's like you know you're there and you're kind of like there's like this level of respect that's just like kind of necessary when you're there where it's like okay i'm in this place where we need to put forth like our best effort um, yeah. So it it's really interesting to think about spaces in that way, because in a, in a way, it was almost like a chapel um, where like you're there in this very like specific thing.
1: And you can cry if you want to.
2: Is there in it? Yeah. And it is. Um, I would hope so. Like, I think there is. There you go. So that? he's holding up a book, says temples of sound inside <laughs> the great recording studios. Oh.
0: yeah. That's a, yeah, it's like got, their, it's got their that feeling. Their feelings of sound. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they should be. Like if you like, I, I really think so. And even if you're like hip LA producer who's doing like the Echo Park home studio thing, I think you put that thought into it. You know, even a home studio to me is just like, I mean, I'm, I'm mixing in my home because of, of, you know, the pandemic. And this is my second room to build out in the house because the first one was just like, no.
1: It didn't feel right
0: it wasn't just the sound thing. It was like this like mm-hmm. thing. Like I like felt like something was weighing on my shoulders. Like the whole time I was mm-hmm. in there, you know, it was just off.
2: What do you think are some of the things that make an artist feel safe in a place like safe to like really reveal themselves? Mm-hmm.
0: That's a cool. Uh, I like during... that question. Cause yeah, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. I think about that all the time. Like that's a huge part of the job of a producer is to make it a safe place to create. And I think there's multiple ways you have to do it. And that's, again, like, I guess it's an old school way, but, like, taking care of the budget is a big part of it. Like, taking over that conversation so the artist doesn't worry about it. Because Uh so many artists are worried because they wanted to to skim off the top of the recording budget to to eat. You Mm. know what I mean? I think the first thing you have to do is create an open dialogue so you're trusted enough for them to say that, too. If you can get an artist to, like, say that kind of thing to you, then, like, I feel like you're there. You know what I mean? To me, I I think it's more than just the space. I think it's, like, this personal space. If you can create, like, an ease Mm -hmm. of that. So once I've done that and gained a little trust there as, like, a comrade, um, Mm -hmm. then, yeah, I think the next part is, like, physical space. Um, And I, I do think, like, fresh air and distance and like elbow room Um, having made records in a Spartan trailer for so long that wouldn't have been able to be done without the outside world Uh around it and nature you know I was able to do that there because we had so much access to nature and um, so like I do think like having this warmth that kind of like surrounds you is mm-hmm. is kind of a big part of it. I think having accessible instruments, and these are all really like I said, like maybe like I might be a bit of a fundamentalist here, but like I think knowing that this is a place to create and not just perform is mm. probably a big part of it. Even if you don't play the instruments that are out, I think they give you a bit of warmth when you walk into the room, and um, you know. And then beyond that, I prefer. To keep cumbersome things. This is when I'm making a record. You know, I think Joel works his own way, and every other engineer and producer I've worked with has their own way of doing it. But I like to keep cumbersome things out of the way. So, like, cables are always wound. This is really silly stuff. But I, like, have learned that certain things are cumbersome. Yeah. To, like, the creative process for musicians and artists. So I try to keep a lot of that stuff... You know straight
1: yeah
0: um and then beyond that i think it's just the way that we treat each other while we're working i do feel like they should be heard like the people on the floor should be heard and i listen to engineers and i listen to interns um so it's really i'm really careful about the people i surround myself with um in the sense that like especially now i've like learned over time that that's it's you really have to be careful about that um you know you don't want anybody in the room who's like over suggesting oh you know um you definitely need people in the room who are kind of listening for opportunities um i think that's creates a nice safe environment and then uh like the culture that surrounds the studio has always been kind of important to me um which is weird. It's this whole story about how we landed where Nile City is, was this guy named Eddie.
2: And did we talk to you about Eddie while you were there, Matt? Well, yeah, I got some tasty tidbits.
0: <laughs> did you meet him at all?
2: I, I did meet him briefly. Fantastic man. Uh, I met him before I got any... Stories. Uh, I didn't even know it was his building or, you know, yeah. it was just kind of like, there's Eddie. And I was like, Cool. Yeah.
0: Eddie there's this he's a man with sweatpants with sweat shorts on the outside <laughs> <laughs> when it gets cold Straight he wears comfort. S- yeah he wears sweat shorts all year long but when it gets cold he puts sweatpants under them to stay warm <laughs> <laughs> he's just this guy like like he's just a beautiful beautiful person and um he has a bar that's just kind of like he lets things grow like everything's like a mushroom with Eddie it just kind of like appears. You know what I mean? It's like this really complex thing that comes out of nothing. And that's kind of how we wanted that building to be. So we were talking to him. We couldn't find a place to record because Austin Jenkins and I, who I think you guys have met Austin before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we were doing it together at first. It was just the two of us at first. And uh, we'd been up in the stockyards and we were going to do it there. And it just didn't work out like the personalities just clashed between we couldn't just get, get anybody to be real with us about spaces. Mm. What we were doing clearly wasn't important. And so we, White Dead would played this gig and Austin had been drinking at the bar there. And so we were there and we were like, Eddie, can we just do it here in like one of your apartments upstairs or something? He was like, yeah, I kind of showed this empty apartment. It was cavernous. And he was like, but, you know, I don't know. I got this other thing. And he, like, <gasps> opens these two doors, and it's a 14,000-square-foot warehouse.
1: <laughs> he just has this other thing.
0: Yeah, and he's using a storage. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and it's connected to the building. And he's like, you can make your record in here, right? And we're like, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> and so we built it up, and then, like, just in time. And what were you
2: recording? Leon. Coming home. Okay.
0: Um, so you
1: found the place, and then like while that was happening you met Leon. No, we Leon.
0: we had found Leon.
1: Other order. Oh, had, and then We had found
0: Leon and mm-hmm. we we were going to build a straight to radio studio. That was the idea. And then Leon appeared and it was just like Austin actually Austin came to me he's like, "Should we just prove the concept and make a record?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. Let's just make an EP." <laughs> um <laughs> so I bring all my like crazy recording I brought 8 track tape machine from Austin borrowed from this this guy Ryan Joseph and Austin and like um, my tube consoles and microphones and like everything and just set up this studio overnight. Like came in one day, did it like worked like a f- eight, eighteen hour a day setting up a studio. Everybody mm-hmm. came in the next day and for four days we recorded and broke the studio down the night of the fourth day.
1: You're um, kidding!
0: And we did like, like nine the whole album. We no we did like nine or ten of those songs. Okay. Um which it is like i think an 11 song album um, but we had 9 or 10 of them and i bumped the mixes with like like the speakers were playing and we were breaking down the studio and then eventually like i had to turn the speakers off cuz you know we're connected to an apartment building so <laughs> i like turned the speakers down and like let the tapes roll you know bump the mixes with the speakers off and like one of those songs is river Oh, um, that had the speakers off. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't even mix it, you know, it just mixed itself, like wow. literally. You know, when people say that, they're like, oh, it just basically mixed itself. This literally mixed itself. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Coming Home, the song Coming Home was uh, like, I, we had retracted it and I would remixed it. But everybody, when we turned in all the mixes, unanimously picked the, the sound off mix from the first <laughs> sessions. So we recorded those, did that. I sent it out. We were like, this is really good. And, uh-huh. you know, Austin was like, dude, don't share it with anybody yet. Let's, like, get it in a place or something. And I just, like, was, like, that guy who's like, no, 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 man. Can I plate for somebody? So we sent it to our manager who literally asked. He's like, has anybody else heard this? <laughs> and I was like, no, man, but what do you think? It's, like, really good, right? Like, isn't it really good? Am I crazy? And he was like, this is really, like, this is something people should hear. Wow. Like, he's like, I think this is huge. And he was like, can you guys do more recording? It was just this funny thing, you know, like, so we like, kind of like built the studio a little nicer, you know, in that same space and came back and we spent a month, like, we retract everything we did and then did another 10 tunes or 12 tunes, 22, 22 songs in those sessions. And, um, there's funny stories throughout that whole time period. They're like the, president of Atlantic records comes and we're on a, a putting green in this golf warehouse that had been shut down since the eighties. It is dirty. It is super <laughs> dirty. And he was asking to hear playback. So he went into this weird tent that we'd built and the president of Atlantic records is laying on his back on a dirty putting green while I'm playing the a track going, it's like tape, man. It's like hearing off a of tape. And I'm just like, you <laughs> this is who when does this happen you know he was like just got drunk in the like shipping and receiving bar with like super weird locals at the time dude it was still super seedy part of town and that like this was the only establishment in the neighborhood there was no other bars uh, eventually
2: ended up going with it
1: no it was Mm -mm. columbia did columbia yeah
2: yeah
0: so, yeah, but I mean, it was just this thing, you know, it was like this really funny moment. And I'm just like, what is going on? And it finally, like, found its label and gets through all the business and all that stuff. It finally comes down to everybody in you know, the A&Rs and Leon and us all, like, picking our favorite mixes. And, like, dude, I, like, more than half the record is from those first four days. So there was energy you know and that's where I built the room you know it was just like well um, build the room here there's like energy here you know you don't want to like yeah, yeah. good energy and I, I di- and you didn't want to trap that energy in a in a crappy space you know like I didn't want to build the wrong thing around that energy oh.
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: and there's bad energy that went into the building you know because <laughs> it's, it's a construction you know it, it's like the budget got messed up and people argued and it was hard to do so you know I would say it probably leveled out it's pretty equal now
1: <laughs> <laughs> um How did this compare to making records with white denim? I mean, did you ever have this sense? Like when you were doing this with Leon Bridges, you guys had that feeling of like, holy shit, this is like big. Did you ever have those moments with white denim where you're like, this is going to be it. This is what takes off.
2: That's what I was going to say is I think every time you listen to things you make, there is this sense of like this is really good, right? <laughs> this is really good. You go through that a lot and.
0: A lot, but not every time. Yeah. There's yeah. sometimes when I make stuff and I'm like this, is, what are we doing? Yeah. This, I, are we crazy? Like there was times we made this record for this girl. I won't, won't tell her name, but we all made this record. It was funny it was me, Austin. And then the guy I'm working with a lot now, uh, who's, who's we're partnering on a, a few things. And he moved here to Fort Worth with this guy, Robert Ellis. And, um, he was on that record as a as as a hired musician and there was a moment where we were making the record and it was so crazy sound and we were like what do we call this band and mm-hmm. it was like i don't know if it was me or austin or somebody was like icy midnight <laughs> you know it was like what kind of and we we're supposed to be making a pop p- pop record we we're like wow. I, this is weirdo music this is outsider music we're making you know so it's definitely not every time but yeah with mm-hmm. white denim It's really funny, we were younger, and I think we felt it in the same way, but in the way, like, kind of a younger, like, punk band would feel it. We were, like, going to clubs with this CD we burnt, being, like, dropping Uh it on the bar and being like, you should, when you, how much? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You're going to pay us. You're going to need to pay us. Like, this is, this is the shit. Um, So it was punk rock, but we felt that way.
1: Do you think you went about it differently with Leon, because you had already gone through This learning curve with white denim about, like, getting signed and putting records out. Dude.
0: No. So, bizarre lesson is it's gone full circle since then. And I think we thought we did. I think Mm -hmm. we thought we did it different. You know? I think we thought we were. But really, we threw a bunch of equipment in a room and just made stuff fast. Mm -hmm. And... You know, somebody got too much of an itch. It couldn't sit on the idea long enough that they shared it with the wrong guy. And that guy got it signed. You know what I mean? It's just like all the stuff. You know what I mean? Like I I was too antsy and like sitting on it and being like, dude, I got (laughs) to Come on. Let me send it to this guy. It's really good. You know, there's this like moment where everybody does what probably you're not supposed to do. You know, you know, there was time spent you know we answered some things we did some things different than white denim like there was arrangement done in a different way beforehand you Mm -hmm. know we like brought people but we brought friends in it was made with friends and not um just hired musicians you know they were like local guys we wanted it to sound we wanted it to sound local we wanted to sound put together or like thrown together we didn't want it to sound like a an invention
1: and you and austin played on that album, right? You didn't just Dude, produce yeah, it. Dude, yeah, man. Because you toured yeah. with Leon, right?
0: Yeah, I used to have to... I was having a run in this makeshift studio from the drum set to a tape machine. Oh, Lord. And, like, listen down and, like, drag... Because we didn't have a lot of equipment, you know? So I was, like, dragging, like, multiple headphones extensions to the drum set. Because we did it with a PA. We didn't... No one had headphones, you know? It was, like, a... You know, there's a PA for the vocals, and then no one else wore headphones. We just... Built a makeshift vocal booth that had bleed. We had this blanket that we could lift to allow more and less bleed into the vocal booth to get like this wraparound reverb from the, the the warehouse, and then we put this little, like PA speaker in between all the musicians that had the vocals on it, and I had to like level that out to where it wouldn't sound like bad, Um, and it was because it became
2: basically something that got recorded with y'all, right? Absolutely, there was no. I'd, I had to go through them.
0: Uh, I got a request. Are there any old songs you guys didn't put out to, like, mm-hmm. go to a, a, a writer needed some material? So yeah. um, I got asked. So I actually went through them for the first time in years, went through those A tracks. Uh. They sound insane. Like, they sound <laughs> like crazy people music. So, no. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we did things differently because of White Denim, but, no, we didn't. And here's what's crazy. I think my next probably biggest single from a different artist, like not a non-Leon single is uh, recently there's this this band camp that i worked with and did a whole record with them and it did well the record did really well they were doing well on their own you know they didn't they didn't need a lot you know they can, just needed comrades can we you know?
1: listen to that real quick you were yeah. going to um send me a clip for officer of love right yeah
0: yeah okay. and this is i guess yeah the, totally yeah this is what i'm talking about yeah.
1: okay so let's listen to that then
2: by in the truck Got a white right down
0: the side Ties on the mud. Okay. Okay, yeah. So this is a band. We did a full link with them. And we got along really well. And we did it like it was like this, this thing. Like they were a young band who were going through stuff that I knew what it was like to go through as a band. You know, all the stuff, good and bad. And they had like heat and stuff was going well and they just needed to make a record. But they needed to make a record in a safe place, in a safe way, on their own pace. Which I found through that process that I am actually probably well suited for it. And I always questioned what I should be doing up until now. And it's way too late. I'm 40. I should have <laughs> known this like 10 years ago. But I did like kind of like come to a weird spot with them. Where it was just like, I like to make records like anything. And this I'm actually pretty good at, like getting in a room with some guys and just like letting them be themselves and try to push them to just be the most happy to be themselves as they can. Like, don't feel weird about the things you're saying to me. And I really felt that with these guys a lot. So they came back through and did this song with me because they were on tour. And they're like we got this song they need another single. So they do it with me. It goes really well. We do it in like we booked it for two days, but we basically did it in a night. You know, we mix it that night, like just a what's called a rough mix. And man, lo and behold, like both my drives go out. Like maybe a month <laughs> or so later, both drives, like the drive it's on and then my backup, my my RAID drive, they're both like busted. Right? Oh, like no. something happened. You know, I think a power supply on the RAID drive went down, and it took out my working drive so i send them off to get the works done to him the guy sends it back to me he's like it worked you're lucky i get it back and it didn't work he didn't get anything from the last three months and then i was like dude it didn't work do you still have the original drives i'll send it off to like someone else you're all good um and he's like what do you mean i'm like the original drives and he was silent i was like you reformatted the original drives and that's what i have isn't it and he was like yeah i was like well the last three months are gone and Mm. One of these songs I have to mix, I'd just gotten a word from their A&R and their manager, like, we need you to mix this. It's the next single.
1: Oh, no. And I'm, like,
0: like gutted. I'm, like, dude. I called this service that it's, like, $10,000 to use. And they were, like, no, man, not happening. Oh, fuck. And I told them, I was, like, man, that MP3 you have is it, you know. <laughs> they can come back. Or I was, like, I'll pay for them to make it in Ohio, you know, whatever you have to do, you know. And they're, like, they like this one. Like you can't do anything, and I remember their manager even told me like he was silent for a while, and he goes, "I mean, shit, man, it's 2019, really."
1: <laughs> <I know. laughs> Didn't say that to I was a like, car. no, man.
0: It, yeah, I was like, no, man. It's not the future enough to save this, you know. You've got <laughs> the MP3. So they put the MP3 out, and <gasps> they get the MP3 mastered, and dude, it like like hits number one on AAA, like like just heat sinks dude it like nails it (laughs) so like okay white denim made in a trailer leon bridges and there's a lot of records in between all this but like like my personal favorites you know and that also saw success you know i would say would be white denim leon bridges and these camp kids they're like really like some personal favorites that i was like Mm. deeply involved in That found some like significant success, especially Leon and camp found a lot of success. And it's just like one was the speakers were off and the other one was like the night of rough mix (laughs) MP3. So I've really learned to like take a lot in stride Mm -hmm. and like it's it's all okay. Like if you create great art, it's all going to be fine. That said, I spend a lot of money on fidelity. Um, Yeah. But you know, it's it's all a way to create. Like it all kind of comes together in that sense, you know.
1: So I have a question for you. Number one, you're an incredible drummer. Like it baffles me when I watch you play. Like I can just see like math, math, That's... math, math, math. And you just it it's incredible. So
0: Thank you, Angelica. Yes, That's really you're nice welcome. of you to say that.
1: So when you listen to other drummers, how do you assess them? It sounds like you're very, like, supportive and comforting and, you know, encouraging. But I guess we kind of always wondered if you were, if it was hard to watch other drummers without, like, having some judgment.
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's only negative if they're ruining the music, if they're doing something that makes it really hard <laughs> to enjoy and, the music. And how yeah. often
2: is that, yeah. I think, is the question, Josh. <laughs> I
0: think it does ha- I think it does happen. It's. I think it's a lot less often for me than you might think. I okay. feel like we might agree on some of them. You yeah, know what I mean? I, I feel yeah. like it's probably the same amount it might be with either of you listening to something and be like, man, the drums are really ruining this for yeah. me. Uh-huh. I think I might, like, that might be the same amount of times that it happens to me. It's tough. Like, I think I, th- I in my 20s, like, when we first met, I was probably really crappy about it. Yeah. I probably was pretty mm-hmm. judgmental, mm-hmm. like like I was probably one of those, mm-hmm. you know, guys I think a little I, more.
2: That's probably that's how I feel about architecture in school. I think when I first came out, I was just like, you know, anything that's not kind of like of a certain caliper, I had a negative opinion about. And what's interesting over time is like. Now it's not so much that I can like see beauty in everything. It's like there's just not that like I'm ambivalent about it.
1: I don't have that energy. I just kind of like that's that's care that much yeah, about yeah. everything and have like negative feelings about everything.
2: Yeah. you so, can be critical also,
1: without being It's like a
2: lot easier to be ambivalent heavy. and and then save all your energy to just be excited when something's very mm. inspiring. Yeah.
0: Would you say too though that you have like a wider lens you know like like you can you you can pull in a lot more information you know so one example for this and and this actually film is huge for me and lauren my wife and her brother and then everybody i know from waxahachie because it was a real big movie for the area uh but true stories the david byrne T- the Talking Heads. I never movie. watched it. Have you guys. I know exactly oh what you're talking about, God. but I've never watched it. Uh-uh.
2: Matt, you're from Arlington. I know. I know. Chad always gave oh. me a. Chad like couldn't believe it either. So Dude, right right now it. you would be witnessing Josh's extreme disappointment <laughs> in his
1: face. <laughs> no, it's not disappointment. It. It's just su- shock. It's just
0: surprise. <laughs> being from DFW, because yeah. it's monumental for somebody our age from DFW. It just like captures it but anyways in the extras because they came out with the Criterion, there was the anniversary for it lauren and i went to the anniversary showing where they had like the you know if, if you see it there's a yodeling uh rope lasso guy yeah and he was in front of the theater like doing it david Byrne was there and we've since got like more connection with the film after moving back because like i know johnny reno now and his wife did a lot of like the location work on it and it's just become like deeper seated part and it's the probably the biggest thing my wife and I Lauren and I connected on when we first met was this movie it's just huge oh, oh, that's it sweet. is just huge and they talk about it in the extras for the Criterion where they're talking about how there was this visual obsession with North Texas was especially like square metal buildings was that the landscape was so flat and you could see for so far that the way a square metal building was framed Like not just in a photo and not just in the camera, but like standing in front of it. The way that is framed in the landscape is so beautiful and so perfect that like it's like you couldn't do anything wrong. You couldn't frame it wrong. You Mm -hmm. couldn't like you can't move to a wrong angle on that. And I feel like that's maybe the way I hear musicians and music now is just with that wide of a lens to where I can just be like. It's not the metal building, it's how it sits in the landscape of 287 and <laughs> I-35W, yeah. you know? It yeah. just works right there, the way the, like, cornfields behind it are just as flat as the land that it's built on. You can see for miles and miles and miles. And the way that architecture plays with that, I think that's kind of like the way I might hear drummers now, is just like, I, I definitely hear them more in the scope of the work and yeah how they affect it on a grand scale.
2: Yeah. Dude, I, I can yeah. totally uh imagine what you're saying and I think like it I think it does work that way as you get kind of older and wiser. Yeah. I also think about the brotherhood of music. Just like seeing other people do their thing is like no matter what skill level, there's just kind of this brotherhood of and sisterhood. Thank you personhood (laughs) personhood humanhood yeah yeah Um, Yeah. when i was there with joel he was playing me some stuff he had been recording and i was like god you know what a nice like thing to be able to witness like artists being you know artists and being Mm -hmm. in their zone and just being able to like there's something just so enjoyable about seeing that even when it's music you may not necessarily ever like, you know, stream or like oh, listen yeah, to, absolutely. It, yeah,
0: absolutely, But
2: you see them in their moment, and you're like, God, I get it. I get why people believe in this person. Or well,
0: well, yeah. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. Like, you know, when I was talking about different producers and how they work and getting the right people together. You know, the Leon second record. It was we did it mostly in L.A. and it was mostly just like us in a room, like and writers like sitting together and putting ideas together. And even in that sense, it's kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like you would think that would be where that doesn't exist because it's not like a group of, you know, people jamming on instruments, like kind of yeah. like sweating out the ideas. But it was, it, it felt like that, man. There was like moments yeah. when, you know, those really cliche moments when someone would be like, you know, be trying to figure out what the hook of the tune is and someone would be like, ah, man, it's just like, you want to say this, and then somebody would turn to him and be like, that's it, you know, and it's like (laughs) this moment, and everybody's like, yeah, and then they hand the mic to Leon, and he sings it really quick, and it's like, "Ooh, do it like this, and like, it happens, and it's just like, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about recording a lot, and kind of getting that perfect recording, but what is your relationship with touring and, and playing live?
0: Yeah, it's huge, it's huge to me, it definitely, like, inspires everything. Um, and how
2: does that reconcile with a family, I think, is part of the thing. It's bigger. so
0: hard. Yeah, I, I stopped touring when we had Birdie because I just wanted to experience every second of it. It was definitely selfish, you know? Um, I just didn't want to miss it. I wanted to be there. I wanted, I wanted to, like, experience every second of the first few years of her life, you know? And that was me. So it didn't really speak to that. But now... You know, I could, and I could have then, like, it was really funny, I did SNL, like, right after she was born. Really? So, like, yeah, I, like, hit that thing, you know, yeah. I was, like, and, in fact, like, my manager was just, like, I know what you're, I know, I and, man and I, I really appreciate it, and I, I love that you're doing this. Um, SNL came through, and I was, like, yeah, I'll be there, man. <laughs> um, so, we were so, you know,
1: we watched it live yeah. we were so was... proud of you like we were just Aww. like squealing like look there it is there, <laughs> there are cameras yeah. on him like we were so excited we <laughs> were like you. taking
2: pictures of the tv yeah it was me too i was so <laughs>
1: nervous
0: um leon's a r is a friend and he, i feel like he sensed my like quiet nervousness because like yeah. right before he was there's a del frisco's right downstairs and across the street he was like you can get a drink at del frisco's and i was like yeah (laughs) yeah let's go to del frisco's and i don't even like (laughs) del frisco's you know so i and i remember we walked back and like looked at our watch he's like dude you're about to go play a song and i was like oh crap (laughs) it was like great like i just like went straight on stage everybody looked at me and were like are you drunk i was like no just you know not being nervous (laughs) yeah It was great. Yeah, in those days I had like preamps for the mics on the drum set. So I was like nervous about like multiple things, you know, like Uh could have gotten a lot wrong that night. Um, But yeah, so I'm really still inspired by like playing shows. Like I still draw on it. It's like still huge. And improvisation is still like a major part of my life to a, a pretty high degree. I think it's like a big part of how I produce records. In the sense that I embrace it, I don't lean on it. And I do feel like the way I absorb this idea is I do feel like the best way to feel free musically is to kind of know what you're bound by, you know? Um, So I think me leaning into improvisation and playing live also helps me realize how important the fundamentals of what I do is. You know, like I said, like building systems to feel free. And, you know, you asked that question earlier and not to kind of constantly full circle, but you asked the question like, how do you make it a safe space? And I think it's by like building systems that create an atmosphere for total freedom. I feel like Ornette Coleman's lucky that everybody put some pretty hard work into music theory so he could break those rules because they had they not, had they not established what like what we're bound by and nobody made the rules. They just established what they were. You know, you hear them and we gravitate towards them. Somebody just said, well, they're this, this is what's happening. This is what we're gravitating to. And because somebody did that, you get free, you know? Um, And I feel like that's something I like live by like every day musically, you know?
1: Does that help you? Like, do you have a rule of thumb or is there something that goes on in your head that tells you what, a good song is like. What are those components? Yeah,
0: it's definitely uh, subjective.
1: Sure. To me, but what know? is it to you? S-
2: what what uh, gets what gets you going? Yeah. What gets you hot <laughs> when you hear a song? When you're yeah, when you're like that, you really admire.
0: It's interesting, like a song or a person.
2: N- no, first I think of all. I think the craft of a songwriter. Mm-hmm.
0: Great, great. So. The song it would be can I like what am I hearing in the spaces, you know what I mean? Like what's happening in the spaces and are the spaces interesting? Like is the negative space in this composition something interesting to me? And like I I kind of I think I've I've found over time that that's a string that kind of runs through a lot of the stuff I've gravitated to song wise is like. Is there like sacred space here, you know, because I feel like if there's not sacred space, I don't know how to process the song. And in the same sense, like if I were to work on it, I, I, I wouldn't know what to lay off of, you know, so a great song to me just sounds like it's just if the space feels sacred between the notes, then it's solid. You know, it's beautiful. And then, of course, lyrics. You know, I if it's a song with like lyrics, I definitely need to feel compelled by like either the narrator or the you know or the story itself
1: or something. I don't.
0: I do, but I kind of like do. I I, like can contribute better towards hooks and like I can kind of top line a little bit. Complete songs, I'm not as good as a lot of people I know. So I've kind of leaned off a little bit over the years. But I have, in the past, written lyrics, you know. I have, I have a, such a admiration for anybody that can, like, bring an idea home, you know, lyrically. The other thing that I gravitate towards is I want to, like, feel something for some sense of the story. I tend to not gravitate towards songs that... Uh, that sound like somebody's complaining about somebody they know.
1: Oh, I love that. You know, that's so specific. Yeah,
0: it, it is, but it's really common in music. I go back and like kind of listen to some albums, and you'll be like, "Oh wow, <laughs> wow, this kind of happens." And I tend to feel like that's a hard thing to relate to. Uh
2: huh. You know, it's I not feel like that's just difficult. Yeah, I, 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 I think I, it's a. Uh, I, I think it's a space you don't willingly want to participate in.
0: Yeah, it's definitely personal for me as well. But I do think, ultimately, I don't think songs like that generally, you know, if we took a 100, like, just classic songs, I don't think songs like that make up the meat. I just don't think that those stand the test of time as well as anything else. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: interesting.
0: Any, Any other subject matter, I think, would stand the test of time a lot better than meanness. Yeah. Just for the sake of being mean. Yeah. Now, there's some things that are artistically mean that I think are fantastic, you know, and some artists have done a great job with that. And it's usually fantastic. That is a good question, though. Yeah. What kind of song gets you? I think I gravitate more towards a voice, though, personally, like my, huh. uh, I feel like my thing, like what I can hear, maybe that might be special to me is like the quality of a voice, you know, oh. if it doesn't sound timeless, I can, I can easily pick it out. Do you sing? Uh, I grew up singing.
1: Really? I
0: do not sing though.
1: Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard you sing. I
0: sing in the talk back and it's usually like, it's usually like somebody surprised that I can hit a pitch or... Yeah you know surprised that I can because I just don't ever do it but the only time I sing is on the talkback when we're working on ideas I love working with singers it's like my favorite thing <sighs> yeah I feel like a, because of COVID and Leanne and I working a lot more together I become a vocal producer a lot more do, you, do you feel
2: like working recording singers or when you really like get that magic out of microphones Like, does it seem like capturing singing is something where microphones really shine when they're good ones?
0: Yeah, yeah. And instruments we we feel very, like, drawn to as people are generally in the tonal range of the human voice, like cello, beautiful instrument. Mm. It's directly dead on with the human voice, you know? There's, like, I think we, we, we gravitate towards that. So, like, recording singers is, you know, it's a joy on multiple levels. A, for the, like, sonics of recording a singer is just wonderful, and B, like, Working with a singer through ideas, man, there's never feels more like teamwork Uh than, you know, I move my keyboard as close to like where the talkback button is I can get. And I try to work really fast. It's like a really cool process, you know, building the tracks out and knowing how to build comps, knowing where to punch and then feeling out their rhythm of how they interact and how they do it. And like you just really if that feels most like jazz to me when you're producing Mm. that feels most like oh man we're doing a thing like you're doing a solo section and i'm on the drum set and i'm like catching you man i'm comping right with you and then like if you're headed to do this little move i kind of see it beforehand and i rock to it and i feel like that's why a lot of drummers gravitate towards this because it's just like this you know immediate like i'm reacting to the singer right now and it's just this really quick process you know before you know it it's just like that's a whole song we nailed it (laughs) you know (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that earlier when you first started. You know, drummers in general, their role most of the time is to tie everything together and kind of observe and you know, it's a very like supportive role as opposed to. Yeah, the bass to, player drives
0: the bus and the drummer pulls it in. Good job, Matt. Yeah, yeah. that's totally what's happening.
2: Yeah, and so that's great. I, I could see why it kind of trains a producer's mind because you're constantly observing and trying to kind of make sense of everyone's role. And then like, how do I bolster it or support it?
0: Yeah. You're just trying to make everybody feel really great.
2: Yeah. And make them sound better just by kind of helping lift it up. So, um, I have a question that's not, that's off page. Okay. I'd like to know what, what three albums do you find yourself revisiting? So I won't make you choose oh, yeah. a best or anything. It's a lot easier to just be like, what's the ones you just go back to over the years?
0: Yeah, there's this Roberto Cachapaglia record. Um, do you know who he is? No. He's fantastic. Um, he had several records. Um, there's a record called Seis Note that I like a lot. These are like early, like minimalist. Uh, Roberto Cacciapaglia was like one of the first people who used... Um, uh, computers and music so mm. he's got a few records and he did a record with Ann Steele that's also really great so those two records like the like have three you records. been rocking
2: these for like a decade yeah at least okay and i
0: constantly go back to them they're like my my center mm. for sure and then there's a girl named tuca and she made uh she's brazilian and she made a record called dracula i love you mm. um i got deep into brazilian music from this era and she's a great story you know she was a political refugee in France anyways look her up because her story is unbelievable and 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 I will say for like women in the um in, in music I think her story is uh like a canary in the coal mine because she wasn't what you would consider conventionally beautiful and it kind of destroyed her the industry didn't treat her the way she deserved to be treated mm-hmm. um Like the freaking star she is. Um, So that's one I've revisited a lot as well. All right, Um, one more. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of an American one just to kind of bring it back to the States a little bit. John Coltrane, I think it's like Coltrane Jazz. It was like Concord did a re-release of it in the 90s. Um, It was like one of the first records that I like listened to, man. Like the... uh, Every day, multiple times. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Uh Uh-huh. like the album title is Jazz, or Coltrane it was, Jazz. I think it, Coltrane Jazz. Let me right. let me make sure.
1: I'll put links to these in the blog post for the episode so that people can yeah. easily find them.
0: So Coltrane Jazz is is a record, yeah, okay. and it's so I had it with extras, and the extras I had had different drummers on some of the songs, but the actual album itself is all Elvin. Um, I ordered it from a mailing catalog, you know, and I didn't know what I was getting, and still to this day it's some of the most beautiful music ever made and I think a lot of the songs I thought were Elvin weren't you know at the time cause I was like 13 you know yeah. and I was like yeah. Elvin Jones dude <laughs> You're Elvin <like> a... <laughs> and then it was just like you know like well, growing up it was like I still love Elvin a lot but man I, I, I'm like Connie K is just so beautiful of a drummer and like Philly Joe Jones is a beautiful drummer and I've like learned that like I think I'm just chill, you know? Some of my favorite records don't have any drums in them, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I really, like, as a listener, you know, I really, really feel like beautiful drumming is probably where it's at. Hmm. And it's weird that I was in white denim and played extremely aggressively for so many years. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know.
2: (laughs) Well, I think what you enjoy listening to and what you end up playing aren't always, Mm -hmm. like... My vision of what I would be playing would be like Isotope 217, like electro hip-hop or something. Mm-hmm. I can't make it for the life of me. Like what comes out <laughs> of me is it's like...
1: very soothing. Like you need to soothe yourself from the anxiety you feel. So like that's what I, comes out.
2: Yeah, but also just what comes yeah. out of me... I've learned to just go with it Uh instead of, like, try to make what I think I should be making. Hmm. I've tried to just be like, this is my inner voice. Just go with it. Yeah. And um, so, I, you know, I think maybe that makes sense with white denim. Yeah. What you're saying about the white denim thing does totally make sense.
0: And I was filling a role there, and it felt great, and we were in a moment of time. Hey. Are you
2: ready for bed? Are you like... I think we're probably... There's only so much editing Angelica can handle. <laughs> yeah. I've, like, the longer it gets. This is going to have to be a, a double disc.
1: Oh, yeah. It's I've okay. Are
2: we getting to your questions? you have a few more questions? So I'm much sorry. I'll try stuff. not to answer no, too think,
1: long. I've just enjoyed it so much. I yeah. haven't wanted to, like, redirect anything. It's kind um, of a
2: nice chat. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to, like, give someone a space to just be like talk about yourself and yeah. all the things you believe you know it feels so taboo normally and it's such a wonderful thing to like sit there and have a space to just It's nice to be yourself. able to do
0: that cuz you I mean you just describe what I think my job is
2: as <laughs> when I'm a producer Oh yeah huh yeah mm-hmm. totally
1: Okay I have a couple of um questions that could be quick if you, you want yeah. to yeah, do you want to listen? Yeah, this in? is fun. Yeah. Okay, come join is that us. Right? Yeah, come join us, right. Eloise. Yeah. Right. Hi, Eloise. Hi. Well, hey, what's okay. up? So you're gonna sit in for a little bit while Dad checks on your sister. Yeah. Um, what are the funnest places you have played live? Because um, Eloise, he's oh. played on TV like Ooh. a bunch. Mm.
0: Oh. Yeah. Um. So, Pickathon is a festival in Oregon, and it's just a really well-done festival, and I've met some of the most important people in my life now there, strangely enough, and had some really great times, and they make it, they actually did such a great job of creating a venue for that kind of thing to happen for the musicians. And rarely that happens, it's usually for the audience, and they've they kind of like blend the lines between the audience and the musicians so well there so that was fantastic i mean snl was huge that was like yeah that was that was great and it's 100 percent live which i think was cool
1: what about Um, playing on other late night talk shows was that fun
0: i mean conan is conan's rad yeah conan's great because it's conan yeah because he's probably one of the coolest hosts Like, he is really incredible. He rehearses the whole day with everybody, just walks around with a guitar, comes and hangs. Is like a fan of music, like a real fan of music, you know, cares about his staff.
1: That's so sweet.
0: Jimmy Kimmel's the same way, rehearses the whole day, cares about his staff. Um, White Denim did Kimmel at uh, South By, and Snoop Dogg was was there as a guest. Yeah. And they came back and told us Snoop Dogg really wanted to meet us, and we just... Yeah, but we basically, they were like, okay, cool, he's ready to meet you, and they walked us over to where his green room was, where, like, smoke was billowing out of the <laughs> bottom of the door, mm-hmm. and he never came out. What? We just stood there for, like, 20 minutes Maybe to meet Snoop Dog, And, like, his people came to grab us, and they were like, he actually he, he, he would love to meet you guys, and we were like, yeah, well, great, cool, we, and we weren't pushing for it, yeah. and then we just stood there. It was, it was, <laughs> I do not know if we were being filmed. It was just this funny moment.
1: Um, was that the year that you played in the giant Doritos vending machine? Am I remembering same that year. correctly? Okay. That was same the year, year. that, that Matt, and Matt and I not,
0: went. That was not one of my favorite venues, the okay. Doritos vending machine. That was very machine.
1: strange.
0: Yeah, that was really strange. I've played some really beautiful cities more so than ven- venues. You mm-hmm. know, Some of the, like, the Italian shows were all just great because when you're traveling with a bigger touring act, you travel in a bus. Okay. And when you're in the bus you show up at noon. Do you just like show up at noon? The crew loads in. I always try to help the crew. I didn't want to be one of those guys. But you still have like five hours uh-huh. just to chill. And that, that all must the Italian nice. the Italian cities. Yeah, the Italian cities are great for that. Um and then Spain and you know, certain cities like Australia was just is, is great for that, you know, being taken care of. Yeah. Um Venues wise, yeah, it's weird. Like some of the bigger halls always stick with you, you know? I mean, we played the Apollo, that was huge. Wow. Um, yeah, you're supposed to rub the log on your way out. Uh-huh. I accidentally slapped the log. Like I oh, didn't yeah. mean to. I was just running and like it was a slap. And they like stopped me. They're like, apologize and re rub the log.
1: <laughs> oh. That- yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good that you got a chance to touch it twice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You got twice as much time. Did I miss anything, Matt? I feel like there's one more. (laughs) I do. Oh, yeah. Matt came back and joined us for our listeners. Eloise went inside. (laughs) Um, Hey, Matt.
2: Hey.
1: (laughs) Eating ice cream is such. I
2: am eating. I'm sorry. Sonically pleasant. I love ice cream.
1: Um,
2: It's amazing.
1: Do you come across. Celebrities, and are you ever starstruck, or at this point, are you? It's just par for the course.
0: Both, yeah. I do come across them, and certain ones I'm absolutely not, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't bother me. And like David Byrne, lost speechless,
2: uh huh,
0: just like speechless, just idiot, yeah, you know, like you're the best that's ever (laughs) bested, just. Wow, man! Uh Wow, I mean, I kid Waxahachie, you know it. Uh, (laughs) It was like this horrible moment, you know, and like I think I have like actual friends in common with him. I mean, Joel worked for him. I was about to say,
1: I feel like Joel had a relationship.
0: We have people in common, and I just couldn't even bring them up. I was just like. (laughs) you, seriously, man, it was like the worst moment for me. And he just shook my hand. He was really pleasant. I'm
1: sure Um, he gets that a lot. How
2: much do you think people want to hear that? And being someone, you know, who probably heard that with white denim, how much, like, do you appreciate hearing, like, oh, you're, I'm a huge fan. You're good. Or do you appreciate it more where people are just kind of like, you know, they know you. You know they know who you are, but they just kind of talk to you like a normal person. Yeah, like I mean, what's what, your what, relationship what you with yeah. fame? I think
0: everybody develops this. You develop an a, like your own certain method of getting the conversation to that point. If you can't push them into a an exchange, then I don't blame them, or or myself. You know yeah. what I mean? But usually you can push them to exchange. The problem is like when you're in a position where you don't have time to do that. You know, yeah. like. Mm. I mean, the David Byrne meeting, he was just surrounded by people, you know, and somebody introduced me like a hit, like somebody he knows really well introduced me and I, you know, I did that and they laughed and it was really sweet and charming and that was fine, you know, and I, I, I think those kind of moments kind of just happen. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, the times that it's happened, it's usually drummers. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, oh, that's
1: cute.
0: Yeah, so we have like a commonality, you know. Yeah. I can yeah. I can just flip it right where it needs to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, Oh yeah, dude, totally. Dude, do, do you you know, do you play like that? You know, and I can just be like, Yeah, man, you know, oh that part of the song is this, you know? And then I can usually get them to talk about themselves a little bit and Yeah, you know. That's when it, it goes there. Asking questions. And my father in law says that like it's like one of his biggest pieces of advice. It's like, should ask questions
1: when you were younger did you ever imagine that you would make it as a professional musician or did you just never think about where you were going to end up
0: yeah i never saw it like this but i i'm i i worked on I manifested it every moment i had mm-hmm. to to do it every time i could dream i, I dreamed about it and all uh, through most of my life you know that's kind of That's always been there. Since probably like 14 on, you know, I wanted to play gigs. I got gigs at the like local, like, you know, restaurants and stuff like that. And I would like focus on it and think about it. And, you know, I try to make it a reality as much as possible. It probably annoyed everybody around (whistles) me. Absolutely. I'm sure it did. You know what I mean? Like acting like I was a professional when I was like 16 16. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure freak people out. Like, want to like distance my. We you know we took like jazz band trips to Switzerland. Like, distancing myself from people at the like, you know, when we go to clubs. Because when you're a teenager there, you can go to the jazz clubs. You know, so I'd like try to like go to ones alone. You know, <laughs> be like musician. <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh, that is really <laughs> so. Cute. Yeah, and I, I'm not like one of those manifesting people. I don't. I don't know about any of that. You know, I don't pretend to dig deep into those ideas. But I think that's what I was doing. I think uh-huh. I was like creating a mental space to to be this uh thing so I could do the work. You know, when I taught uh-huh. private lessons, I would tell people all the time I'd be like, "Look, man, you know, you want it to be real, you've got to like work at it like it's real." You know, and how many hours a week do people who have a job work? 40. Well, cool. Do you have 40 hours? That's what you need to do. You know, remember when you started college, that's what they tell you, like, well, if you have, you're have you taking this many hours of school, you need four hours per class. Do you have that many hours in your week to dedicate, you know? And that's why they talk you down from taking 18 hours of school,
1: you uh-huh. know? Are you um, able to prioritize your time that way? Like, I, you probably think of it like a job now. I've got to go in from these hours to these hours. But, like, do you find yourself just always drawn to working and I ask that because that's a good there question. are times when I I need a break from work and I don't want to think about it on the weekends and you know
0: I've learned to forgive it. Yeah, um and the way I've learned to forgive it is by uh spinning my wheels, like idling, you know, and learning to forgive that idling
1: mm-hmm. that
0: I'm doing. You know, like Oh, interesting. I said that's what I want my Uh-huh. Thing to be. So there was a, a time period where I burnt myself out. I, I was working like 80 hour weeks, probably. You know, um, Leon Record 2 was unhealthy for me hmm. when we first started working on it. And we were, you know, coming home. I had a two year old man coming home at like four in the morning. Um, Oof. because I just had to work. Like, I yeah. just like the song's not done. I'm not leaving here till it's done. And it was horrible. The work we were doing at that time, Then of that made the record. It was just bad work. And I've learned to like, forgive the idol. So yeah, I'm redeveloping my methods there. I wouldn't say I'm like done. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say I know how to do it, but I would say learning how to practice and one thing you learn when you're a musician is and again this goes back into the manifesting thing is you learn to practice in your head. If you have a spare 5 minutes, you don't you learn to not need your instrument, especially if you're a drummer. You know, so I visualize everything I do. I like if I have a moment I'm and I I cannot be in the present with the people I'm with if I have a moment if I'm driving, if I'm riding my bike or doing anything like that, like that's healthy for myself, I use that moment to, to practice. Hmm. And that's kind of, um, I don't know if that's a direct answer, but that's kind of how I prioritize my time. You know, I like idle because I think humans need to do that.
1: You know, I think we
0: need to put it in neutral and chill for a second. Um, but you know, I've slowly learned to like use a rowing machine and practice, While I'm on the rolling machine, like clear my mind. And then the first thing that comes to it is the thing I practice, you know,
1: I I do that when I'm sewing. My brain just like goes somewhere where I don't have to tell it where to go to figure something out. And it figures out on its own. You know, you don't have to put the work into it.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, I I can practice. uh, When I was a teenager, I used to practice my rudiments. It's probably bad to do, but I used to practice my rudiments in my teeth. Like, left molars and right molars would my, be my right stroke and left stroke. Wow. And I'd, like, practice. And I can, like, chatter my teeth really fast because of that. But I would, like, in class and stuff like that, if it was, like, Algebra Did that algebra get the II. girls?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Such a good question. <laughs> totally, they loved that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it is Waxahachie, you know. Yeah. So I got, like, all kinds of Roper-wearing girls, you know, <laughs> chattering my teeth in class. <laughs> He has algebra 2 like I kind of I kind of had it is it fine you know I didn't need to listen that day I would definitely like learn to idle I, you know that's yeah. like the thing we all have to like learn to do and how do you like idle and stay progressive and like you know move forward as as you know a thinker or whatever
2: I solve a lot of problems outside of work just in you know with architecture you can like move through spaces in your mind or mm-hmm. imagine details or things like that. And uh, yeah, I'll get a lot of clarity on like a design because I can imagine it in my mind and kind of the things that I can't reconcile. That time away is just as helpful as the time yes. like in the, the thick of it kind of doing the grunt work. Um, it is about that. Yeah, parents should urge their children to try music. It
0: helps put that type of activity in a kid's mind at a really mm-hmm. early age. Yeah. I, I feel like people who played music as a child, like they definitely have like something in in that sense. Like you can always kind of pick each other out. Huh. Like in in like the workplace, you know, you find out somebody plays an instrument you're like, ah, oh, of course you do. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: yeah. You know, you
0: have that thing, you know, I can tell you know how to chill and I can tell you, you know how to like, get after it. Uh-huh. You know, they all practice, you know.
1: Is it obsessive? <laughs> is Do you ever find practicing to be obsessive? Like I a, mean,
2: Josh is obsessive. <laughs>
0: it might be obsessive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like a,
1: yeah.
2: a, like a creative and productive say that.
1: way to express, like, that compulsion. An
0: obsession, yeah, there's an obsession with follow-through.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Where it becomes, it becomes negative, you know, like, The parts of my life that I don't see follow through, I've had to like, you know, uh like it's like a therapy thing, you Mm -hmm. know, like I'm really down on it, like it causes depression, like things that I can't be, I can't follow through on. Like
1: as well as you can with music, like you're so strong with music and all that.
0: But even even if there's music, I can't, if there's music, I can't follow through, like just the lack of follow through. It just like cripples me. So now there's things in my life that you can't do that with. And it just like, I'm like, oh what is this? This is but, incredible. Like children?
2: You're like <laughs> practice kids? No. You're like searching oh, for the system though to make sense of it all. And then once you probably understand that system, you probably like get a lot more comfortable because Yeah. You get it. You're like, "Okay, it appears to be chaotic at first, but there is a system here with constraints." Working with a vocalist. Rules.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This goes back to working with a vocalist. It was, it was the hardest thing to practice and get good at. It was so hard to get good at because I thought like, oh, this is for people with perfect pitch. I was like, no, it's not. It's for this. It's for that. And after a while, I was like, oh, I just really need to practice this. Hmm. You know, and how do you practice recording vocals? You know, <laughs> call your friend who can sing. Like, mm-hmm. will you just come over and sing? <laughs> like, you can't do that, yeah. you know?
2: You just have to do it a ton. I was thinking about this earlier about the realities of a, creative based job and that mm. there's high stakes and people are counting oh. on you and in your, are you're learning and you're trying to produce something from like an emotional side of your brain, but reconciling that there's so many feelings involved, you know, it's Dude, a pressure it's to perform such a tightrope.
1: Oh yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Man, the pressure to perform for creative jobs is just so insane. It's so insane. That's why like, you know, learning to forgive yourself and all that stuff is is just really important and then beyond learning to forgive yourself like trying to again like dude get those like get that library in your brain so on point that you you've you've removed that from the equation yeah you know
2: and i think the other thing is you know you look at people that are professionals really producing something later in their life that's kind of um transcends like a certain level of work i think there's something about like over time that preciousness goes away you know Mm -hmm. and to some extent the practice of just making an album over and over again you know i think that there is just something that only comes with being a professional at what you do that kind of unlocks this um universe that isn't possible to someone just coming into something and there's something really beautiful that develops over time because there's a certain level of just kind of letting go of you know the act of creating where and you know in the back of our head I I think we all want this to be the thing that is like you know the amazing moment that I break through on something Mm. or but at the same time, I think you have to, at some point, let it all go, and kind of give away the preciousness and just produce, and then isn't that so hard? Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then looking easier. back, all of a sudden, you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then somebody says, "Hey, like that thing you did that one time, that was good," yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and and you're just kind of moving through those things. It's such an interesting life to live. To kind of, you know, dream of having a creative job Hmm. and then find the reality of a creative job and it's very painful for a while. (laughs) And then kind of moving through that and, you know, starting to, I don't know, settle into it.
0: Yeah, you learn to accept the hunger too. I think that's one of the stages of that, of, of that like process is you learn to like accept being hungry. You know, whatever that might mean for you. You know, sure, for some sure. people it's literal, but uh, mm-hmm. for others it's like, you know, like hungry for a, you know, a win. You yeah. know, like I just just need a win or I just need this to like, I need this to matter to people or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, like you learn to accept the fact that you're probably just always going to live in that state. And then you let go of it and you just become like really like happy in this strange sense of of happiness you just become confident you know yeah and i don't like i i say that word somewhat lightly but i do think there's like a certain level of confidence you get that's not from doing great work over and over again it's just from like like being okay with the work you're doing you know Mm -hmm. like i mean i have this all the time like Vocal production is, a, you know, I keep going back to this, but it's a great one. Like, I have to, like, accept that at times I'm not even going to be credited, you know? Oh. I have to go watch a pop producer essentially accept a track that somebody else made, take a vocalist, do only vocal production, and be, like, the star producer. And at a certain point in your career, I think you stop caring about what any of that means. And you just like making good work Uh you know with whatever facilities you have and when you let go of all that stuff generally speaking is when you become the name on the top line yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it's just like what you know
2: yeah it's like something you could Uh tell someone a million times but you just can't get there until you put the hours in yeah. yeah, yeah, and the only way you can say it to
0: somebody, and I, I go through this with people I work with, you know, say it's an employee or another an engineer or a co-producer or something like that, where the only way you know how to say it is like, oh, man, just chill. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I don't know
2: how else to put it.
0: Great advice. <laughs> yeah, man, just chill, you know? Yeah. It'll be fine. I do have that story now where I can say, like, dude, my three biggest hits I didn't, like, one of the speakers were off. Another one was an MP3 the night of. Yeah. And another one, like, I don't even, I I was drunk, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, that's what I tell people
2: now. Yeah. I'm in this group online kind of run by this guy who's done well. And everyone's real nervous about presenting their music. And he's like, the universe does not care about ambient music, <laughs> you know. And, I, and it was such a big breakthrough because to me it's almost like, the universe doesn't ultimately care about modern architecture the universe yeah. like it's if you give it that it's only as like significant in the way that we want it to be you know there's a uh, yeah. there's a version that, that it's significant to us cuz it gives me a sense of fulfillment and meaning but so often we give it this greater significance of you know being that's this beyond big thing.
0: That's beyond even your audience's capabilities of yep, giving you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's this moment that James had. He was doing an ACL taping that he was really nervous about. And he said that Jim James was was there. He was doing the same taping. I guess they were all going up to sing with Preservation Hall or something. And uh, this was years ago. And he was talking about it with me and he goes, Jim James just said, Hey man, everybody here just wants to just wants you to succeed, man you know. Oh,
1: that's sweet.
0: Or something like that. And I thought about that a lot and it's such a cool like full circle, right? Cuz like everybody just here just wants you to succeed. And the only person who is in charge of whether or not you succeeded is just you after you did it saying that was great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All the pressure is just on these like like unnecessary things you, you know, construct around yeah. the work you're doing and it's just like you know and they can be driven by all kinds of things and like honestly like bills and hunger are, are definitely you know unfortunately something we have to deal with as creative yeah. professionals yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a
1: it's a career you know? to support your family and to pay your bills and you know be you a human on
0: this earth you are a professional so you learn how to make that work yeah which i feel like we're all doing yeah, yeah. seems like it
1: good job us yeah <laughs> um, let real quick. This is
2: actually a set behind us. We're outside <laughs> under a tarp. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. No, it's freezing outside. Um, I want to at least get a little sound bite about the yeah. music for the intro and the outro that we're oh, yeah. going to play. We're going to do Camp in the Middle. Which one do you want as the intro? Gilly Yellow? I feel like Liam. Gilly's
2: a great intro.
1: Okay. Yeah. Isn't
2: that a good one? Oh, yeah. it was so
1: peppy. I loved it.
2: Yeah, that thing's cool. Was that recorded at Niles? Yeah, by me.
1: Really? Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Where the hell did this person connect with you? So
0: Gilly's amazing. Gilly is a, um Ethiopian refugee in Israel. Uh, he was part of that mass evacuation in the 80s. And he was part of the evacuation that didn't make the plane. So they walked to Whoa. Israel. So he has experienced... So much in his life and is one of the most positive people I have ever worked with. Yeah. And just a beautiful human and just got lucky. Like his manager and label owner reached out and said, Gilly would love to work with you guys. He's never worked in America before. Really? And um, yeah. And that's why it's called Made in America because he speaks Amharic, you know. <laughs> and he, you know, he, we, he wanted to meld some traditional Ethiopian grooves and scales with american musicians and that was kind of how it came together and it was a cool experience it was just rad because where he feels the downbeat is not at all what you think it is it's just not so when he explains how the groove works it was like taking lessons it was so cool did he come with any other musicians no he just came him
2: <laughs> so it was him and a
0: bunch of fort worth dudes three texans no uh, two houstonites and, and 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 me oh my mm-hmm. gosh Kelly Doyle and Joffrey, yeah, Kelly Doyle and Joffrey Mueller, uh, amazing. Joffrey's like a like I don't know how to explain him. If you get a chance, you should look up Joffrey Mueller. His plays banjo really well. Does like a lot of like uh, like Eastern European music on banjo and bass, and can play the saw. And he's just an incredible person. And to me, he's like redneck Jocko, like he (laughs) is. Unbelievably uh-huh. good, and also, like, hey, y'all doing? <laughs> you know, um, Love it. um yeah, he's great, he's great. So, yeah, Gilly, you know, I hope that was a good intro for it. Yeah, it's yeah, perfect, that sounds great. And
1: then we'll close out the episode with Leon Bridges' uh song, Georgia to Texas. Is this a new song? This isn't from this, yeah, this is off the second
0: record, yeah. So, we were doing that second record in LA in a very like modern LA setting with writers and and he had had this song kind of in the can and it was pretty organically written and it was the one song where we just like sat down and played instruments you know and it was this moment in the studio that was not meant for that where we did that and I think it created just a really beautiful landscape for a really beautiful sentiment by him at the end of the album and I'm playing like myself you know like I'm not you know what I mean? Like, I, like, it's just this, everybody is kind of like doing a thing. And it's just, mm. it was kind of a cool moment, you know? But yeah, I thought I'd include one that we didn't do at Nile City. Yeah. You yeah. know.
1: Okay. I know we've talked about a lot. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you had wanted to talk about?
0: So, uh, officially Nile City is a label, um, which uh, has been in the works for a while.
1: Really? Congrats.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I'm doing it with partnerships, so I'm including Robert Ellis on it and got a few records already in the can that are going to come out, and we're doing it in partnership with like a nice big distributor. Wow. And yeah, it took a while to get to that point, but it'll be a nice kind of new chapter just to see where that goes.
1: That's lovely. Yeah, oh dude. cool. That's so <laughs>
0: awesome. Oh, yeah. my
1: gosh. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be?
0: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um rhythmic idler.
1: Mm. It yeah. sounds like a drummer would think of that. Also, your name sounds like you were born to be a drummer. Like oh really? To have the last name block. Like I've always That's thought cool. that. Yeah.
0: In junior high they made me a tackle on the football team before they met mm-hmm.
1: me. Oh, yes. that's the wrong I had to spend one.
0: two weeks. They are like, this two guy's weeks got a, a block. Offensive tack. <laughs>
1: that's, <the wrong>, yeah. <laughs> that's the wrong block. It was a percussive block. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so much better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is.
0: Yeah, rhythmic idler. I like that.
1: Well, thank you, Josh. Thanks for sitting thank down you. with us. This was
0: really enjoyable. I like talking to you guys. Yeah. We should just do this without the recording.
2: I agree. Yeah.
1: Catch up more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And thanks, Matt, for sitting in. My pleasure. Always. And thanks to our listeners. We hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties.
2: Got my mother's eyes and my father's nose.
1: Go to chattycrafties.com for a blog post on this episode with links, various photos of Josh in action by Rambo Elliott, social media for Chatty Crafties and Nile City Sound, and more. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Angelica Norton, and I was joined by my musically inclined husband, Matt Norton. Josh Block played drums, recorded, and produced the music for Gilly Yallo that we used for the intro for Camp as the mid-episode song, and for Leon Bridges for the outro. Now, if you have a song bouncing around in your head that you've been wanting to record, it's time to get in the studio and go make some art.